If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to open to Acts chapter 18. The Acts of the Apostles in chapter 18 in the New Testament. The author of Acts is Luke, the same as the author of the Gospel of Luke. You might consider the book of Acts to be part two of the telling of the story. That in the Gospel of Luke, we find the life and ministry of Jesus, and it concludes with his resurrection and his ascension. When you come to the book of Acts, you pick up the story right there at the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And Luke tells what you might call the rest of the story. Luke tells through the book of Acts, and really the chronicles of the apostles. He begins the first half of his book telling the ministry of the apostle Peter from the time of the resurrection all the way until Peter is eventually reaching into Gentile territories, taking the gospel across cultural lines. It's right around that time that we find a large church had grown and was planted in Gentile territory, Antioch. The story in the book of Acts picks up in Acts chapter 13 with another apostle, Paul. And so we find from Acts 13 through the end of the book, we find the stories largely of the life and ministry of the apostle Paul. So this morning as we come to Acts 18, we find ourselves in the middle of the stories of the Apostle Paul's life. We come to the text and we find here Paul, perhaps the most well-known, one of the most well-known followers of Jesus. But like every other follower of Jesus, Paul is just a broken person who came to the point where he could admit that and then chose to follow Jesus. He was rescued from the punishment he was owed for his sin, and he was rescued even day in and day out by the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, who would change his heart from a love of himself and a love of his sin to what I hope we'll see was a love for others around him. And so today as we come to Acts 18, this will be the character at the center of our story, Acts 18, and if you look with me, Verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Here we are, and as I said, we're taking the middle of one of Paul's stories. Paul has now, at this point, been moving and growing and changing. But this isn't where Paul started. Paul had started his story back before Acts 13, all the way back to Acts chapter 9. Paul we find out early on, Paul was a very religious guy already before he came to faith in Jesus. Some of you may be here this morning, and you might be very religious, but may not yet be a follower of Jesus. Jesus invites religious people in all the time. They have to turn from their own self-righteousness, their own trust in their good works, and the things they're doing, because that is not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Paul was not just religious, Paul was the toxic kind of religious. He was a religious zealot. The type is so ferocious in their religion that they actually go from being aggressive with their words to at times being aggressive in their actions. Paul wasn't just verbally attacking those around him, particularly Christians at the time before he followed Jesus, but he was physically attacking Christians. Paul's backstory is one where Paul is practically a terrorist against Christians. He didn't know Jesus yet. And his violent nature was one of the greatest evidences that he didn't know Jesus yet. 
that his willingness to harm others physically, while motivated by religion, was simply an evidence that he didn't know Jesus yet. As I say that, let me look at you brothers and sisters gathered here this morning. Those who are super religious, they may wear all types of religious clothes, they may say all kinds of religious words, they may carry a Bible, they may sit around you, they may even tell you what the Bible says. If at the same time that they do that, they are super aggressive, super abrasive, they are mocking, they are cruel, and they are violent. They look a lot more like Paul before he meets Jesus than after he meets Jesus. And I would say, these still have much to learn from Jesus. And so as we come to the text, we see Paul, Paul who was terribly broken, who needed Jesus. But one day, Paul's story was turned upside down. Jesus supernaturally intervened in Paul's life. Jesus revealed to Paul he himself. Jesus was the only way to find acceptance with God and forgiveness of Paul's sins. Paul would find himself turned around as he comes to believe in Jesus. Paul would be shown the love of Jesus by the people of Jesus. It would become the kindness of God in Paul's life that would lead to his repentance. And Paul eventually places his faith in the saving work of Jesus. Paul's backstory is one of brokenness that leads to conversion. From there, Paul is so radically transformed by the gospel. Paul begins his new life. No longer a religious zealot trying to kill Christians and to kill the church. Paul is now committed, by the time he meets him in Acts 18, to growing Christians and planting the church. What a remarkable work Jesus can do in the life of those who would just give themselves up to him. After seeking to destroy the church for years, Paul, converted, now seeks to plant churches. And that's what he's doing. But it says he departed in verse 1 from Athens and came to Corinth. He's just on missionary journeys now, traveling around, showing the love of Jesus, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Showing the love of Jesus, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. From town to town, city to city, from Athens to Corinth, about 80 kilometers away from Athens. Verse 2. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila. Born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Luke gives a parenthetical here. Here's why they moved to Corinth from Rome. Because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. And he came unto them. Because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought. He worked. For by their occupation, they were tent makers, like Paul. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. So Paul reaches this point in his reasoning in the synagogue where after a couple of brothers show up, you see that Paul shifts his message as he's arguing in the local synagogue of Corinth, and now he will declare, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. For the Jews, this will be a hard thing to hear, and you'll see immediately how they respond. Verse 6, 
And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm clean. From henceforth, I'll go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence, entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. You find Paul in this new city preaching the gospel, and now as Paul's preaching the gospel, immediately when he gets to the point of, and you need to trust Christ, that's when he got the pushback. I guarantee that many of those who heard him said, yeah, Paul, some of the things you're saying are good. We need to live good lives. I agree with that. We need to bring some good into society. I agree with that. But we need to make sure that that we're people of faith. I agree with that. And we need to trust in Jesus Christ alone. Mm. Settle down. Now when he brings Jesus, he finds immediate opposition. But Paul isn't going to be overwhelmed. He's, He's already learned from past experiences. This is now five chapters into story after story after story. Of Paul going into towns, preaching the gospel, finding resistance, and continuing to preach. You may find resistance as you seek to share Christ with those around you. If you find resistance against the good news of Jesus, that means you're doing it the right way. Not because you're abrasive, not because you're cruel or mocking or unkind, but if you're speaking with the love of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, and find resistance, that's normal as a Christian. That's what Paul finds. Paul pushes through that resistance and continues. That's what verse 6 says, that now he'll push past those who are refusing to hear the message. And he continues to speak. And what happened? We saw in verses 7 and 8, there's a revival in Corinth. An unbelievable response. He goes and speaks to the Gentiles, and a number of those who aren't even from his own religious background and faith community come to faith in Jesus. And Paul watches as these Corinthians are starting to join in this Jesus movement. They're now becoming followers of Jesus. And now, as that happens, he goes on to say in verse 8, The people who are in the synagogue open their eyes and go, this is unbelievable. All the way up to a leader in the synagogue, Christmas goes, this is true, this is right, let's follow Jesus. What an incredible story. That he comes to preach the gospel, finds resistance, pushes through it, and finds all kinds of harvest and fruit on the other side. Brother and sister, you may go to work, you may be around neighbors, you may be around friends, you may find resistance right now. Push through with faith and boldness, trusting in Jesus, declaring the good news of his message. Paul finds here on the other side all kinds of fruit you couldn't have seen. It's in the middle of this revival in Corinth. He's come here to plant a church. This is how you plant a church. Preach the gospel, see people come to faith in Jesus. And then you start gathering together. You planted a church. Right in the middle of that, a couple of the strangest verses pop up. Acts chapter 18, look at verse 9 and 10. Then spake the Lord, that's Jesus, to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. 
for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. As we read those two verses, 9 and 10, don't be afraid. If you're reading the Bible and paying attention right here, you should say to yourself, why is Jesus showing up to Paul right at the end of a revival meeting and saying, don't be afraid? Right? Like, maybe back at verse 6, they opposed him, and Jesus came and said, don't be afraid. That's how it happens. It's opposed, pushes through, revival. People coming to faith in Jesus. Now verse 9, don't be afraid, Paul. Why? What, what in the world does Paul need a vision of encouragement from Jesus for? Why now? The scriptures don't tell us exactly why. Perhaps you've lived long enough to find patterns in your own life. Something goes good, I feel like something's about to go bad. Paul had experienced in all of his church planting ventures through the cities where he would experience massive revivals like this one, and almost immediately after, opposition run out of town, sometimes even they drive him out to kill him. That the revival was a marker in his life of, and now Satan, who does not want to see the gospel advance, will throw everything at me that he possibly can. He'd gotten three weeks into Thessalonica just before this journey, before the predictable formula of oppression followed by acceptance, followed by persecution, had landed in his lap. From Galatia to Macedonia, now to Achaia, Paul perhaps was experiencing emotional and mental trauma. Revival happened and he's excited, but his heart needs Jesus to come and encourage him. So something of turmoil is happening in Paul's heart. And Paul receives a personal vision of encouragement from Jesus. Now, if you've never read the book of Acts, this isn't normal. This isn't what happens all the time. It's not like every story Paul's doing something and Jesus shows and gives him encouragement. This is a unique appearance of Jesus where just a couple of times in all of Paul's ministry, over decades, does Jesus show up and give him a direct vision where Jesus is speaking. This is a unique setup. So why does Jesus come now and say, don't be afraid, verse 9, but speak and hold not thy peace. We see Jesus will give him a command there, verse 9. Verse 10, will give him a stack of promises. Keep preaching, Paul. Don't quit, brother. Don't stop, brother. In that moment as he preaches... As he, as he speaks to Paul, you have to find, perhaps, encouragement like I do. This is the Apostle Paul. Paul needed to be told to keep speaking. Paul needed to be told, be bold with the gospel. Paul, like the guy who traveled around and I count my life as nothing but the sake of the gospel. He needed Jesus to come along in moments in his life and say, keep preaching, brother. I find myself at times discouraged. I find myself at times overwhelmed. I find myself at times exhausted. And perhaps if I'm not paying attention to the scriptures, I might think, man, I'm just, I'm just not a Christian. I'm just not the type of Christian I should be. And I see stories like this where Jesus comes and encourages somebody like Paul. They go, oh, but I guess I need encouragement too. And 
And we have Paul, actually Paul, you can read Paul's letters, you'll find Paul even writing in his own letters. Pray for me that I will have boldness to declare the truth of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we don't ever do it in our own strength. And here Paul comes with this now. Encouragement from Jesus. Encouragement to be bold. To continue preaching. Continue declaring. Regardless of what might come, Paul, don't be afraid. Keep on preaching the good news. Brothers and sisters, regardless of what may come, do not be afraid. Keep on preaching the good news. Notice the promise. Verse 10. For I am with you. I'm with you, Paul. He says the perfect promise. Paul would learn this rule of life. He would later write in his letters to his friends at Rome. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God has sent me, and now Jesus is with me. I'm not by myself in the proclamation of the good news. Those who are his messengers taking his message, he is with them even to the end of the earth. If God is with Paul, what does that mean? Well, two more promises that God gives here. Verse 10. No man shall set on me to hurt thee. And I have much people in this city. No one will attack you to harm you. God will grant to Paul here in Corinth a unique season of labor without physical harm. That's unique because Paul, city after city after city after city, is just harm, 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 harm. Now you can read Paul's story find whether it's stripes or being stoned or shipwrecked, whatever it is, constantly barraged by pain and agony. Now here he is in court, and people are starting to believe that his heart has to go, all right, get ready. Here it comes. All right. Save the life of heart. Be prepared. In Philippi, when I first got to this continent, they, they beat me and stuck me in prison. Okay, let's get ready. Let's get ready. I'm ready for anything. Jesus shows up and goes, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'll be with you. And actually, in this town, they aren't going to be able to harm you. I'll just mark out around your life just a wall of protection. What does this teach us? I don't think it tells us so much about Paul as it does about who God is and how God works. We find in this text that when God says, I can keep harm off of you, God is describing himself to us as all-powerful. Powerful over all the suffering that can come into Paul's life. Powerful over all the suffering that can come into our lives. I will keep the harm off of you. There's another side of that truth that is this. Saints, don't miss this. Any harm that comes upon you, follower of Jesus, has only come by the permissive hand of an all-powerful God. If he has the ability to keep it off of you, if any comes into your life, any suffering, any hard moments, any frightening moments, any disappointing moments, they only come through the permissive hands of a wise and good God, sovereign over all things, who could have kept it from you, but in his wisdom and his goodness and his love towards you, goes, go for it. And uses to shape your life. The God who sets the boundaries of the ocean and says, wait, stop here, go no further. 
sets the boundaries of trouble in your heart. That the waves of suffering only go as far as his hands allow. And if waves sweep over your soul in suffering, know that it only came through the hands of an all-powerful God who put it for your good. No one can attack you to harm you. Yeah, I know. He's all powerful. And he can withhold, or he can win. He gives another promise. I have much people in this city. What he's not saying is, all welcome to Corinth. There weren't any Christians here yet, except for my Christian spies. They're hidden all around town. As you come through, you're going to be preaching the gospel, and somebody's going to open up their jacket market and say, Don't worry, Paul, I was God. So he says that I have a secret entourage of hidden saints in the sound. What he's describing here is there are people who are my people who don't even know that they're my people yet. And you're here to preach the good news because I'm going to call them to myself and draw them to myself. As you go to preach, know that there will be a response in the city. There will be people who are my people. You can hear the words of Jesus. My sheep hear my voice and they know me. They come to me. They follow after me. Paul, go take the words of Jesus. Go speak them in the marketplace. And watch as little sheep ears come up. And you go, there's one of his. That's the one right there. Tell me more about Jesus. What is this truth of the gospel? Is everybody a sheep? No, they aren't. There are goats mixed in with sheep, and you and I can't tell the difference as we look at them. He looks and goes, that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's Speak the words of Jesus and call them to me. Proclaim the good news of the gospel that they might be drawn. And here God describes the city of Corinth as a place where his people are. I have people here. Perhaps Paul hadn't received this vision because of weakness and because of threat from religious leaders. If he hadn't received it because of that, you might find Paul at this point going, I'm going to leave Corinth and move on to the next place before the bad stuff starts. But having this command to stay here and preach, keep preaching, I've got people who are mine, I want to see them come to faith in Jesus, don't stop declaring, there are sheep here, Paul, call them into the fold of Jesus, don't stop, I'll hold the suffering back, because there are many of mine who are here. Later from Paul's letters to the churches in Corinth, we'll discover who their names are. We'll meet people like Stephanus and his whole family. Chloe and her whole family, Aristarchus, Fortunatus, Achaicus, stacks and stacks and stacks of people in this city that when Paul begins to hear these words, he doesn't know their names yet. The Father does. Paul, go preach to me. I'll bring them here. Jesus gives these words of encouragement, a promise of his presence, and a command to continue preaching because people will respond to the news of the gospel. Verse 11. And he continued there, Paul stayed there in Corinth, a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Preach, nobody attacks him. It's a year and a half of ministry. Perhaps the best year and a half of Paul's entire missionary journeys. 
what a joy it would have been for Paul to feel the promise of Deuteronomy 31. The Lord your God goes with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But a shift happens in verse 12. Look with me. Verse 12, and we'll read all the way down to verse 17. When Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, said he might be the new governor of the region, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. They meant contrary to Roman law. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Gallio said unto the Jews, he interrupts their case, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drained them from the judgment seat. You find here Paul now after the conversion of Christmas. Now as the gospel is reaching out. Now that people like Chloe, like Aristarchus are being added to the faith. You find now a new group. There's resistance that comes a year and a half later. And this group is so furious that Paul is preaching the gospel. You see that they come and grab Paul and drag him into court. Again, these words that are used to describe that they're going to rise up against Paul and bring him to the judgment seat. This is no gentle movement. They aren't excited about what Paul's doing. They're actually furious. These are the Jews that Paul keeps bringing converts out of their self-righteous faith. And now as the Christian faith is growing, these Jews have lost their capital. They've lost their people. And now they're furious. And led by their leader, we'll see in verse 17, is named Sosthenes. Sosthenes and these Jews now grab Paul and drag him into court before the new governor. The new governor has no idea what's been going on in court. This is new for him. And they bring Paul in. And they say, Galileo, look here at this guy. This guy is telling people to worship God. Can you believe that, Galileo? That's against Roman law because here in Rome we only worship Caesar. So Galileo, I think you should punish this man, Paul. You see how Galileo responds? He says, Paul isn't violating any of the practical laws, the moral laws of our society. This actually just sounds like you have some type of theological dispute with him, and I'm not interested in handling your case at all. How about you go sell this out of my courtroom? What we find is that the man who dragged Paul in, this man is a man named Sosthenes. Sosthenes is now the ruler of the synagogue since Christmas left to follow Jesus. Sosthenes is now the man who viciously hates Christians, especially this one, Paul. Sosthenes wants to see nothing less than Paul be convicted by Galilee. That he would like to see now this leader convict Paul and either imprison him or execute him. So Sosthenes, with his own anger, vitriol, violence, has dragged Paul into court, has presented his case to the governor, and Gallio, hearing this case, instantly dismisses it. Why? 
No harm will come to you, Paul. God will keep every single promise that He makes. It doesn't matter how for the moment it might feel and you might feel overwhelmed. For Paul, I can guarantee as he's being dragged down the street into the courthouse, people yelling, people saying, kill him, take him in there, get him. Sosthenes has spent days, if not weeks, crafting the perfect argument for court against Paul. He's going to present his case. We're going to get rid of this Christian Paul. We'll get him at least arrested, if not killed. But what God, what Sosthenes has no idea is that God had said, no harm will come to you, Paul. Stay here and keep preaching. Keep going. The Sosthenes was fighting against the very hand of God. That will never work. What you see here, at the end of this whole story, we come now towards our conclusion, verse 17. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Gallio cared for none of those things. You see that? This man Sosthenes wants to see Paul beaten, imprisoned, and killed. He's dragged Paul all the way to court to make sure that this can happen. He's presented his case. The judge dismisses the case. And what happens to Sosthenes? He's the one who now the crowds turn against him. The ruler of the synagogue. The crowds turn against him. Different variants even of this text speak that it's the Greeks, perhaps even the Jews, or the Greeks who are meeting with the Jews. That they who were religious who had actually come with Sosthenes. Went. What kind of case was that, Sosthenes? We're trying to get Paul, and now you, he's off the hook. You let him get away. And in their anger, their violence that they had pointed towards Paul, they just now found a new person to point it towards. And they, with violence, descend on Sosthenes. Mob violence against one individual, and no one stopping it. It says they did this in front of Gallio. They did this literally in the courtroom where Gallio is looking, his judgment seat right there, and they watch as people stomp and kick and spit and hit and tear his clothes. Sosthenes, the one who had fought against Paul, who had resisted the very hand of God, Sosthenes now lays in the middle of the judgment hall, violently abused. And the legal authorities who should stop that kind of thing sat back and went, if that's what y'all do around here, that's what y'all do around here. I'm going to involve myself. Sosthenes is beaten for his attack against the Christians. God has providentially intervened and opposed this attacker. Paul wasn't hurt. Clearly, this man, Sosthenes, was. And if you're like me, there may be something in you that hears that yeah. and goes, oh, yeah. get him. Yeah. Yes. He fought against the Christians, and the Christians won. He got beat up and bloodied, and he learned his lesson. Don't mess with the Christians. You picked the wrong team, Sosthenes. You should have been with us, not against us. Friends, is the best outcome really that Sosthenes is beaten and bruised and taught his lesson that you don't mess with Christians? Or is there a better outcome for Sosthenes? 
Should Christians see this moment, even of persecution and suffering, direct attacks by a person, and be able to look at that person who opposes them, who wants their destruction, and hope for anything better than just they get beat up? I'm reminded of a story the author of Corey Ten Boom writes. She tells a story. Her family lived in Germany during the time of the Nazis. And Corey Ten Boom was not Jewish, but the Nazis were, were, were seriously trying to execute all the Jews. And so Corey Ten Boom's family was a family of believers who lived in Germany at the time. And they would help hide Jews to help them escape this Holocaust, this execution by the Nazi forces. Corey Ten Boom's family is eventually found out. She and her older sister and her father are arrested and placed in prison. Work camps alongside the very Jews that they were trying to preserve their lives. Corey Ten Boom's story tells of what it was like to live there in those work camps. The worst conditions, constantly in fear and threat that at any moment a guard could open the door, drag one out, and kill another person. She recounts a story where she and her sister are looking through the crack out of her dormitory as a guard, a Nazi guard, has grabbed one of the women and has her on the ground in front of her and with a baton is beating her, violently assaulting this woman. And Corey responds, she, she, she records for us, in that moment she watched, her heart breaks because she can't intervene without being killed herself. There's nothing they can do. This is just going to happen in front of them. She said her sister, Betsy, just mumbled the words, Poor soul. Poor soul. She said at the time I thought to myself, Ah, yeah. That is really sad that's happening to that poor woman. She said, but I came as I grew in my faith. I came to understand that my sister, Betsy, went much deeper faith than me was actually talking about the guard who was the person who was beating another person. Poor soul. What kind of brokenness in that person's heart would lead them to do this to someone else? What kind of blindness that they must have in their lives, in their hearts, that they wouldn't see this as another person, an image bearer of the Almighty, to treat with respect? What kind of hopelessness they must feel if this is how they have to act towards somebody else. That actually seeing somebody trapped in sin, even violent sin against someone else, caused her heart to stir with the heart of Jesus. That sees somebody broken like that and goes, oh man, what if there was something better? Before we celebrate and speak in terms that are completely Christless and completely gospelless, about Sosthenes here in Acts chapter 18, verse 17. What would be the greatest hope for Sosthenes? What would be the greatest hope for those brothers and sisters? For those that, that offend you? For those that attack you? For those that take advantage of you? What would be the greatest hope for them? That they would just get beaten in a courtroom, left in a bloody heap? Your heart's like mine, it might say, yes, that would be great. I would like to see that. You don't know what they've done to me, mate. You don't know what they've said. They are my enemy. And for all of my life, they will be. 
And they deserve to be dragged into court and beaten in front of the judge. And the judge go, goodbye me. But if your heart has been touched like Paul's was with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you find here that the story for Sosthenes could have a far greater ending than just a bloody heap in Gallagher's court. You find the words of Jesus as he suffered and died. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. As he is oppressed and afflicted, he opens not his mouth. As he is insulted and mocked and ridiculed, he doesn't repay evil with evil. But rather he just trusts his heart to the Father. Father, in your wise hands, your wise plan is being carried out. The suffering that came into Jesus' life was only by the wise fingertips of God that he had pulled his hand off his son and said, let it sweep over him that all of mankind might be saved. Bringing in through his destruction our salvation. And there was those around Jesus who hated him. Jesus only loved. If you have your Bible there in front of you, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1. This is Corinth. This is Paul's letter to those believers at Corinth. Just a few years later, Paul will write to Corinth. And he'll write a letter, a letter of correction, a letter of encouragement to those who are believers in the church. He writes here this letter to this church that we just read about being planted over 18 months. And Paul, as he writes this letter, writes something I think worth noting. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. Hey. There's, there's more of a story than Sosthenes laid in the middle of Gallium's fall and bloody heat punishment. There's more story that happens between then and 1 Corinthians 1. It appears the story ended with the conversion of another leader of the synagogue. Crispus first revival offense Sosthenes. Sosthenes, the bruise, had become Sosthenes, our brother. Can you picture it? How does that happen? How do I go from a moment where I'm beaten and bloody in the middle of a judgment hall to I'm a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul? Church history says eventually Sosthenes will begin planting churches himself. How does that happen? Picture with me what I like to call holy imagination. Sosthenes is bloody and beaten by the people around him. They spit at him, kick at him, his clothes are torn. He's covered in blood and dust and dirt and spit. And all of those who had come to court with him that day leave him. Who's left standing in court? Bloody, bleeding Sosthenes and Paul, who he just dragged to court. The follower of Jesus is in the room. And perhaps along the edges of the room, the companions of Paul watching to see what would happen. Like, just picture Paul slowly approaching this man who's now grunting and breathing difficultly. And 
Paul coming up going, man, I know, I know you don't want anything to do with me. I know, I know you're upset at me, but I, if you'll just hear me for just a second, just listen. I know where you're at. Silas, go get some water in to get his wounds clean. Friend, I've got a friend here, his name's Luke, he's a doctor, he can help you. Did the people of Jesus look at a person hurt and with the compassion of Jesus don't go, good, they deserved it, but go instead, poor soul. There's a soul here in need of salvation and only by the intervening grace of Jesus will this person ever be saved from the violence in their religion. Because Paul knows what it means to be so ferocious against Christians. Paul knows in his own story what it means to drag Christians into courtrooms before judges. And Paul knows that the intervening grace of Jesus can change somebody like that and make them a church planter and a preacher. And Paul, with the compassion of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, comes to this man that wants nothing to do with him. Brother, let's just talk while you're healing here in our house. We've got a place for you to lay up. Justice is given a space in the back of his house. We'll just keep your wounds tended. We're just going to go get some stuff in the market and make sure we can take care of that bone that's broken. We're going to set it. We'll get you taken care of. It's going to be all right. For the first time ever, Sosthenes feels the loving compassion of Jesus. He met Jesus' people on this day, and something in his story radically transformed him where he's one who now knows in 1 Corinthians 1 what it means to follow Jesus. God knew in protecting Paul eventually one of those who was dragging Paul was one of his people. I don't imagine that every Christian who went to church that week and heard about this man Sosthenes dragging Paul they probably didn't think that's one of the ones that God was talking about. I have many people in this city. And you look at someone like, oh, that guy looks pretty sharp. He's probably one of Jesus' people. That guy looks pretty good. He's probably one of He's wealthy. He's powerful. Perhaps those are Jesus' people. Paul, with the eyes of Jesus, looks at the ones resisting him and will come to comprehend. I have many people in this city. Perhaps this is one of them. Well, let's show them the love of Jesus. Let's declare with boldness the good news of Jesus. That Jesus himself might intervene in their life and radically change their story. That Sosthenes the oppressor, Sosthenes the persecutor, Sosthenes the bruised and beaten will become Sosthenes our brother. And so doing, the kindness of God leads to repentance. Find Sosthenes' story about the change. And Sosthenes will go and preach the gospel. They look like Jesus to say this. I don't know, brothers and sisters, I don't know everyone as we come in here today. I know that regardless of who you are, the good news of Jesus comes as an offer to you as it did to Sosthenes, our brother. Perhaps you came here and you have found the hurt and pain from others in your life in this morning as you hear of. Loving your enemies, being good to those that mistreat you, pray for those that persecute you. And you hear that, and that's, that's so hard on your heart. Brothers and sisters, it's so hard to 
pray for those and to love those who might mistreat you. Perhaps this morning we need to look at Jesus and say, you'll have to be with me through this. You'll have to give me strength to do this. But I kneel and confess to you, my own pride has resisted loving my enemies. My bitterness towards that person has left me forgetting that they need you, Jesus. Please change me. Please rescue them. Perhaps you come here this morning and you know the sin in your life. You know the brokenness in your heart. You might even be dressed up and be religious. But you know your brokenness. Jesus invites you now. He says, come to me, all who are here in heaven. Come and I will give you rest. Your religion has been a burden on your back. Come and find the rest that Jesus offers at his feet. Come, perhaps even, you need to come and find one of the pastors here, one of the brothers or sisters here, and say, tell me, how can I be like Sosthenes? How can I be like Paul? How can I have my story radically changed and I become one of his followers of Jesus? And his love for you, by the strength of the Spirit, in the work of Christ, to use you Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us through Jesus Christ. We thank you for not only words telling us to love our enemies, but a life in Jesus that shows what it looks like. Strengthen us for people to love those around us, especially those that oppose us, especially those that are doing to us. May we truly be your people as we are merciful and gracious and compassionate towards them. Perhaps you're here this morning, you're not a believer. Perhaps you listened to the words that said a follower of Jesus is not going to respond in anger, abusing other people. And maybe those words have fallen on your heart and you say, but wait a second, I dress right and come to church and I read my Bible. Maybe the evidence of that repentance is not one fruit in your life. So I'd like to address that first. Here this morning, you say, you know, Pastor, I'd love to talk to somebody and make sure that I've got things squared away between me and the Lord Jesus. I want to make sure that I truly am a believer. If you like that this morning, you'd like to talk to somebody, we'll just raise your hand, sit your hand up, we'll have somebody come sit with you, up in the office, young lady, your Janice. Is there another? Pastor, I'd love to talk to somebody. Just slip your hand up. Is there one like that this morning? Talk to somebody. Is there anything like that? Raise your hand. Now I'd like to challenge the rest of us. Oh, maybe follow the words of Jesus. Love your enemies. You're good dealing with this fight full of you. And I wonder how it is that you might, in your moments of frustration, respond to those who despite the you. I want to pray with us to close and like for us to just take a moment in honest reflection. 
That was just something I need to work on. Father, pray together with my brothers and sisters this morning that we would be obedient to the command of our Lord Jesus. Love our enemies. We only love those that love us. What faith do we even have? We only show kindness to those who show kindness to us. What faith do we have? But instead, Lord, I pray that we would be quick to give kindness where it has not been given to us. I pray that we would show love. It's not our love, it's yours. I pray that we would show the love of the Lord Jesus upon others. They might not deserve it, but neither did we. So Lord, I pray that you would take the love that you've shown in our lives and help us to reflect that into the lives of others. Thank you for the grace that you bestowed upon us. It's in your beautiful name, my Amen. If you'll wait with me for just a minute, it's the first Sunday of the month. And so every month, the first Sunday of the month, we take up our missions offering. So I'd like to invite our pastors to come. I hope you've come prepared to give. If you normally come in for services here, you would remember this. And so uh, this is our opportunity to give towards missions projects and missionaries that we have that uh, we support every month. And it's a privilege to be a part of this. So I'll pray and then I'll ask the questions to take up our missions. Father, thank you for the opportunity to partake in ministry.